Joining us today on this episode of What The Fun Podcast, we've got an awesome creative director, stage director, writer, scenic designer, and everything in between. This guy dabbles in everything, and speaking of dabbling, the ladies talk about what dabbling means to them. All this on What The Fun Podcast. Hey there, friends. Welcome back to another episode of What The Fun. Here we are, season three still, with episode number 27. Wow, 27. I still am, I'm still amazed every time we, you know, <laughs> note which episode we're on. <laughs> Can't believe we made it this far. Yes, yes. Almost two years of us Almost. doing this podcast. Oh my gosh. Wow. Uh, and let this all be a reminder to all this again was just, you know, cubicle fun, cheese meh in Renee's cube. <laughs> and then two years later, three seasons. 27 episodes with additional bonus cube chats, not, you know, to add to the list, but oh, we're so good. We're so good. Oh my gosh. So with like 27, underneath, 27 episodes underneath our belt, you know, I mean, there's still more for our production company to dabble on besides podcasting. You know, I mean, we talked <laughs> about dabbling in film <laughs> production shows. We've talked about dabbling in some you know, producing other things. I mean, we have dabbled with, uh, with our friends. Um, yeah. Get in podcast. Yep. Mm-hmm. Get in with, um, Paul and Laura, Laura, you know, but I definitely want us to dabble in, um, some film product, uh, projects. Oh my gosh. I keep saying dabbling. What? <laughs> I like to dabble into things. I mean, what does dabbling <laughs> mean to you guys? <laughs> <laughs> What? Ooh, what, a, what a fun time in the cubicle this morning. <laughs> because let me tell you something. To me, dabbling is like, like, you know, dabbling, like, touch it. Like, it's like taking like a little bit of this and a little bit of that. I'm going to go and like, or, or like going to Costco. I'm going to go dabble and try on little different samples here. <laughs> I get a sample of this. I'm going to sample that. And in my experience of dabbling, I would say that I've dabbled a lot in the entertainment biz, you know, from mm-hmm. acting. I dabbled in acting. I dabbled in directing. I dabbled in writing a show. I dabbled yeah. in um, producing shows. I dabbled in improv and sketch comedy. So it's like a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And I know you ladies are in the entertainment industry as well. So like, are, what are other things have you dabbled on or dabbled in? <laughs> well, so like when I started in theater, I was like, I don't know. I was like in high school. I really liked doing like makeup. I really wanted mm. to do like like makeup artistry things. <laughs> But I like, I just like to be creative. Like I really like crafting like that. I have like a whole craft supply zone. <laughs> so it's just like, anytime I can do those kinds of like creative things, I think that's interesting. But then like when I started, I started off doing, like wanting to do makeup, ended up doing tech. Um, started in like lighting um and then just kind of like worked my way through like all of the different like areas in like tech theater that you can land in and then 
you know, somebody had said to me, you know, like, I think, you know, you're good. You're really good. And so like, maybe you would, you should try stage management. And so I did. Um, and I really liked it. It was great. You know, like I felt like it was like something where you could really have your hands in, in all the pots. You know, mm -hmm. you have to kind of know a little bit about every discipline to be a really good stage manager. And so the fact that I took time to like learn about all the other disciplines would like was helpful for me. So. And then where has that led you to? Because I mean, now you've changed careers. So how, <laughs> how did that help? Yeah, I mean, I feel like for me, like the whole changing careers, like having all of that experience of like managing different shows, different events, like of different calibers, right? So like maybe it's like a small party or maybe it's like a really large media press event with, you know, like celebrities and, you know, crazy people. And it's just like all of that really has helped me manage all my work now, like as a project manager. So like, you know, of course, like the skill set is different, right? Like I manage a team of like engineers, you know, like that do like coding and things like that. So like that is different, but the fundamentals are still the same. And I had that same mindset changing careers where it was just like, I need to learn how to code so I know what I'm talking about. I need to learn how to do this so I know how to talk to this person. It was all the same. The steps were the same. It's just learning different skills. So, yeah, I mean, the fundamentals are still there. I mean, I, managing a project is managing a project. No matter what you're doing, you still need to, like, know what you're talking about and be somewhat organized and you'll be fine. Absolutely. Now, Renee, I know. Neat skill. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I know Renee has dabbled in sewing and costuming and all that fun stuff besides stage management. Yeah, I've always called myself like the jack of all trades, master of none. <laughs> because I felt that I like doing more than one thing and then I I wouldn't master it. I'm just like And I think that should be and I think that should be the motto of a dabbler right there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not necessarily like you're going to master the darn thing or like become great about you know. I mean, you can until you find the thing, but that makes it all work. But yeah, <laughs> I I don't know. And I started and I got in theater. I just wanted to try everything. And so I did. Um, but what I found, I gravitated towards were like costuming design because my grandmother was a seamstress and that's what I grew up around. And I like fashion and then. The other um, aspect was stage management because of the organizational skills. And and then that kind of led into like the leadership portion, which I felt that I blossomed into kind of thing. And then, um, and then, yeah, and acting has always been a huge part of it as well. And, and understanding, again, like you said, understanding all the different disciplines is what helps you be better at your job even if you are a performer like if you're an actor and you understand of the tech side and the management side then you're more pleasant to be around one mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but you also understand the process you're not there just you know waiting for someone to point you in the right direction like you know what you need to bring and you understand why 
it's going to take X amount of time to rehearse this particular scene because you've got automation and you've got all these other elements that are going into it. Um, so it's important to, to try more than one thing. And then outside of that, I think we all like to dabble in different things. And maybe that's how we got to this. We were able to put all our efforts together to put the podcast because we have different tastes and abilities and different things that we could apply here. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I yeah. think dabbling is very important. Again, <laughs> Jack yeah, it's trade. really, it's, yeah, it's, it's super important, especially it's important. I mean, no matter what industry you're in, because like, if you have blinders on, right, then you're not going to really be exposed to everything out there. And how, how are you supposed to know? Like, you know, like when, like you choose to go to college, if that's, you know, what you choose to do, you're like 18 years old and like, <laughs> you're supposed to like decide this is what I'm going to do forever. Like at 18, you're like, that's insane. <laughs> so it's just like, that is have, so insane. <laughs> you have to like be able to like, and that's what college is really for. That's what I really liked about it is like, you have to like go and try new things, like go meet people, go, you know, join a club, go do whatever. And like, you don't have to like do everything professionally. I think that that's like, what's so important is like, you don't have to be the best at it, but if you like understand it, you have respect for it, then like, that's good enough. You know, you don't have to be like the best at literally everything. That's, you know, it's too much. It's too yeah. Much. I think you have like people that are, I've always wanted to be this person and I'm never, I'm not, uh, you know, born with a specific talent that people are fully aware of, like your family is aware of, your teachers are aware of, and they're going to foster and hone that talent. And so then, you know, you do that thing, right? Whether if it's being an opera singer or being a doctor or an engineer or like that's like your brain like that's what it does um I've always wanted like I always thought oh my god my life would be so much simpler if I just knew <laughs> <laughs> I just knew yeah but I feel like that's like part of why like when I decided to go to school like I was like I don't want to go to a conservatory I like it was like really important that I went to a four-year university because I was like, if I just in conservatory doing theater for four years or three years or whatever it is, I'm like, I think I'm just going to get burnt out. Like I already did. So like even, even at Chapman, like at a four year university where it's not a conservatory, I was in mm -hmm. the freaking theater for 15 hours every single day. Like, yeah. And then like, and I still had other things. Like I saw in my sorority, I saw all these other things that I was in. And, I, and like, if I, but if I was like, just like at like a Juilliard or at like an NYU, I would just be exhausted. <laughs> I would be so tired. Like there's nothing else besides, besides theater. And like, sometimes you need to do other things. Right. You know, ladies, with our powers combined, I mean, we are quite the triple threat. <laughs> you know, we don't need any production crew whatsoever. We could do it ourselves from creative to creating our costumes and all that fun <laughs> stuff. I mean, come on now. We can do this. We can do it. Speaking of dabbling, our next guest is quite the dabbler. 
Oh, yeah, he sure is. And it's taken mm -hmm. him to very unexpected places in his career. So oh, this, yeah. This is a good one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of great opportunities that he's had and that he's kind of made for himself. Uh, is a good, good, good tidbits for mm -hmm. anyone who's listening about how to how to maneuver your way through your career and, and all the unexpected places it can take you. Oh, yeah. Joining us today is a creative director, stage director, writer, scenic designer, and sometimes actor. He has directed numerous shows throughout Orange County and L.A. Some of his favorite productions include Of Mice and Men, Proof, Big River, The Diary of Anne Frank, and also Orange County premieres of God of Carnage and E.B. Handing in Spokane. Wow, this guy's got a lot underneath his belt. He's also an artistic director for Costa Mesa Playhouse and is also an elected board member of the Orange County Theater Guild. He has won several awards and was honored as Man of the Year in Theater for 2016 by the LA Times. Say what? Uh, yeah, and our guest also holds a degree from the University of Las Vegas, which I think Kisa is from. Of course she is. And also <laughs> at Cal State Fullerton. Beyond being a theater geek, this person is also a huge Star Wars and Marvel geek. Oh my goodness. Uh, without further ado, let's welcome to the show, Michael Sarna. Yay! Yay! Thank you. So excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's an honor to have you, the dabbler. <laughs> <laughs> and I say dabblers because this man here has got his hands on so many things entertainment wise from stage film I mean like this guy does it all he dabbles from directing to acting to casting to producing I'm sure so um yeah I guess he called himself a renaissance man ah! it sounds yes, cooler than dabbler himself. I'm gonna be honest <laughs> but I like the dabbler Dabbler sounds like I'm getting into trouble a lot, which is probably true as well. <laughs> <laughs> or that I'm only only half accomplishing what I'm looking to do. So maybe that is maybe that is true. I'm not entirely sure, <laughs> but I'll take it. I've been called so, much much worse. <laughs> <laughs> no, I want I want to go back in time and in my little time our little time machine here of when okay. little Michael Cerna mm -hmm. first you know got his taste like his taste in theater, like what prompted you to want to be a performer? Cause you started off as an actor. I'm going to assume. I did. Yeah. I mean, so many of us start that way, right? We right. Like, Oh, I'll just be on the stage. Um, it, it's, I was in high school and I was a pretty shy kid and I, I, I thought I was going to be an artist, like a graphic artist or some kind of media artist. And that's what I was kind of ge gearing to do. And, and my, my sister, my sister was three years older than me. Uh, I think she thought I was going to be a real weirdo and uh, <laughs> too sheltered. <laughs> so she kind of was like, you should really take a theater class. You'll like it. It'll be fun. And I was like, that sounds like fun. So I took a theater class in high school and uh, I, I found that I liked it, that it was, it was fun, that I started getting out of my shell a little bit. Uh, there were a lot of girls there. It was one of the jokes <laughs> for a while. I was like, oh, there were so many girls and so few guys. It was such a great, <laughs> great situation for me uh, at that age. Uh, but then I sort of transitioned and changed. I went to college and I still thought I was going to be an artist. Uh, but it was, I was still at the time dabbling mm -hmm. right, <laughs> in <dabbler>. acting <laughs> and I was enjoying acting. Uh, but I thought, well, that's not a career anybody does. Nobody goes into entertainment and does that nonsense. Um, and then I, uh, again, I, I got cast in a couple of shows and it was a, a professor 
who became a mentor of mine, who saw me like waiting outside the the lobby, like in, you know, going over lines or something. And he's like, why aren't you in class with everybody else? Because I went to UNLV for undergrad and everybody had to take the sort of same classes. You took the acting class and then the voice class. And I wasn't a major in theater. So I wasn't in the classes. And he's like, why aren't you in class with everybody else? I said, oh, I'm not really a theater major. He's like, oh, you need to be. And then I literally got up that moment and declared to be a theater major and never stopped since then. Um, so I, in my whole life, I think I've always been helped by people who push me some direction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know what you're doing. Go do that. <laughs> um, so smarter people have always nudged me forward uh, in a good way, I guess. Yeah. Would you say, like, going back to when your mentor at UNLV mm-hmm. suggested that you become a theater major, that like that was the moment where you're like, this is what I'm going to, I'm just going to do entertainment from like here on out. I think so. I mean, I, 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 I'll, I'll give him a shout out. Davey Marlon Jones was the director who, who inspired me. This is a sadly past sense, but he, uh, you know, he was out of the, the arena stage in, in Washington and he had spent his whole life in the theater and as an entertainer. And I, I hadn't really met anybody like that yet, that had had a whole life of it. Um, Cause I was still fairly new in, the, mm-hmm. in you know, being interested in theater. So uh, that that inspiration, and I realized that again, I, I, I didn't think too far ahead. I don't think I had one of those moments where like this is it. I figured it out for my whole life. <laughs> but I knew I loved doing it, and I knew it was important to me. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I'm just going to roll the dice on this and see where this goes. And I think I felt confident in that moment because I needed somebody to tell me it was okay. I think there was a little bit of apprehension because I enjoyed it. I thought I was pretty good at it, even though I'd only been doing it for a couple of years. I didn't know much about it, but I thought I was learning fast and I understood and I I was into it. But I needed somebody, like an adult, to tell me it was okay Mm -hmm. to do it. And he was definitely an adult who told me it was okay to do it. And he cared. I mean, there's, you know, mentorship has been a huge piece of my life because I've, through my careers, I say careers because I'm a dabbler. Uh, <laughs> hashtag dabbler. There's so many people that have mentored me in small ways and big ways and uh, taken me along that journey. And I think it's so important in this world of entertainment to have those people that believe in you, that that trust or give you give you their faith and trust and give you that nudge to sort of mm-hmm. keep pushing mm-hmm. because it is hard. There's no roadmap per se for how to do what you do. Right. I mean, it, it, mm-hmm. in any business that I've been involved in entertainment, there's never a very clear, like, here's the guidebook on how to do this. Yeah. Right. Because everybody's a different kind of director. Everybody's a different kind of actor. Everyone's a different kind of casting director. Um, whatever it is you're doing, there's, there's a different take on everything. So yeah. trusting yourself is key, but then having somebody to help you and say, that's okay. Or that sucked, but it's okay that it sucked because mm-hmm. you're going to survive. Yeah. And like what, like we've, you know, we've joked that you're, that you're a dabbler, right? Mm -hmm. You like to do multiple different things, but how, like, what was the progression of like doing, like trying all these different things in entertainment, like going from Mm -hmm. acting to casting all the way now to like creative directing? Like what was that succession like for you? Yeah. It's, it's a bouncing ball really of different things. I, I, you know, I loved acting. I thought this is, oh, this is the thing I'm going to do. I graduated from UNLV. I didn't know where I was going to go next. I was, some personal family things were going on at the time. My mom was dying and she passed away right after I graduated from college. And then uh, Cal State Fullerton basically 
pursued me to mm-hmm. take their do their master's program as an actor. And I thought, oh, okay, I got nothing else to do. I'm no focus in my life. So I ended up in California. And, you know, I was enjoying acting, but I was starting to sour a little bit on it. I graduated graduate school. I was getting gigs. I was working. Uh, I did a couple of equity shows. And it was just sad because the that the the grind of being an actor is so hard. Mm-hmm. And uh the, the day-to-day really having to hustle. And I think I was tired a little bit, just just mm-hmm. emotionally and, and personally and so you know, I'd gone through some stuff. And I just started to feel like I don't know if I can do this my whole life. And I I had some other actors I was working with at the time that were so good. I mean, one guy was his older man was like the original Broadway production of of uh Jesus Christ Superstar, and now he's mm. doing this silly show where he's playing a small part in part being earnest with me. And I thought, is this the life I'm going to have? Where mm-hmm. like 30 years from now, I'm going to have peaked long ago, and now I'm just gigging as best I can to survive. Yeah. And that's a working life, and that's a that's a great working life. And I respect all those actors who are able to pull that off. And I have so many great friends that are literally hustling every day and, and keeping it alive. And I, mm-hmm. I respect that, that tenacity. And it goes back to that old adage of, if you can imagine yourself doing anything else, do it. And I mm-hmm. basically got there. I thought, I don't think I can do this my whole life. I don't think I want to live out of a suitcase. It's not that exciting to me. For, for mm-hmm. acting, it was never about the adoration or the sort of uh, excitement of the audience. It was really more for me. Like I love being on stage telling a story and acting a role and it, getting out of my shell and I loved that. I didn't need the applause. Like I was fine when they're like, we're not going to take a curtain call. I'm like, great. I just wanted to do the thing. And I loved mm-hmm. doing the show and, and, you know, bringing that character to life. So without the need of that live audience, I thought, well, I don't think this is going to be my life. And uh, I had done some, some short films and, and worked in the film biz a little bit. And I didn't love that either because that was um, the character character development process wasn't the same, and it wasn't that mm-hmm. sort of digging into a full score a s- story. It was really like, oh, here's your scene, go into your thing, and then peace out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had I had done a lot of directing, and I really loved directing. And I thought, well, this is the thing I I think I will always do is be a director. Um, so I thought, but I can't make money doing that. Uh, I didn't have the sort of again tenacity to go out and say I'm going to just commit fully. And and that's you know, when I started working at Disney at that time. So Disney really did give me so many opportunities to do different things. And that's mm-hmm. where I was able to use the skills I had as an actor, as a director. That led me to, you know, again, I'll go back to my Disney career a little bit on this one. Uh, you know, I was I was hired on as an actor. I stayed around and did like a scheduling job. I was a, a um a character manager for a while and, and, you know, managed the team there. And I learned a lot of practical business skills. And then I thought, well, is there a world I can use the stuff I'm doing on the outside uh, within that construct? So then I, that's when I became a casting director there. Mm-hmm. I'd obviously been casting shows for myself and for friends for years and getting to create that role and, and get deeper into that world was sort of like career two for me. Really, mm-hmm. going from actor, that was sort of the next stage of of a life of oh, this is pretty great to be able to give people an opportunity to pursue that career, especially if they're mm-hmm. you know want this to be their life to get into the entertainment industry to get into a show. Mm-hmm. Uh, but still, directing was always that thing that I was wanting to do. Uh, it was years later that I realized that that creative directing is sort of to me the extension of that, whereas. Mm-hmm. 
focusing on the micro of a single show, looking at a broader project and looking at a bigger piece of, uh, of a creative piece, whether it's developing a creative thing, writing, all of that, I think, stemmed out of wanting to tell good stories, wanting to be a part of a story, and then sort of expand that out. And I think having that overhead view that a creative director gets to have or an artistic director, which is my role in Costa Mesa, is to sort of look at the broader picture and to help other creatives. That was something I got to much later in my life. I think mm-hmm. I had done so much other things, so many other things that made sense to me. It was now time, I think, for me to look at what's a bigger picture, what's a bigger investment is helping others and getting us all together to create something big and creating a, a giant village, if you will, of creative people to work with you instead of you just being the person who has to think of a lot of stuff mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. you do as a director. And, and focusing on, you know, you got to stage the actors and, you know, deal with a bunch of other things. Creative directing really allowed me to do all the crazy control freak stuff, which I love doing. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm not much of a control freak in regular day-to-day life, but when it comes to uh, my creative work, I really am. I like to be in all pieces of it, which is why I think I'm an interesting creative director because I also means I like to know about the budgets and how things mm-hmm. cost, um, which is, I think, what I'm good at as an artistic director as well. Is I, It mm-hmm. concerns me to know what money we have to spend because it does cost to create anything. And I think it's it behooves a, uh, a creative person to get concerned about that. If you're not concerned about that, you're going to dream huge dreams, which I believe we should always dream huge dreams, but mm-hmm. all huge dreams have a dollar price to them. Right. And if you don't think about that dollar, uh, I think you're, you're going to end up dabbling and not succeeding mm-hmm. <laughs> and not mm-hmm. being able to, to find that, that sweet spot where you you can spend the money you have and create something really amazing. Um, so challenge your big dream, but find that place the dollar fits in. There's like a definite level of practicality that you have to incorporate in what you do. Yeah, and especially when you're doing it, uh, you know, for for some for a company. I mean, it's it's funny how I think directors get stuck in this world of I'm I'm the most important person in the process. But if you're a good director, you're going to work for a company, mm-hmm. right? You're going to work at the Center Theater Group. You're going to work at Steppenwolf. You're going to work in other places. You're working for a company. Right. Mm-hmm. So you are at the behest of somebody else. So being able to work within a construct of a budget, of an expectation, uh, is, is where you're going to succeed professionally as a, as a director. And I learned that early on that it's cool to, to have your way of looking at things. But again, the practicality of what is required, what's the audience need and what is the, the producer need. Mm-hmm. Uh, can't, can't get out of your view, I don't think. Yeah. 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 I definitely think like that can, sometimes be a, a struggle I I think so, like just how trying to balance like your own creativity with mm-hmm. <laughs> actual needs of like the, you know of the production oh it's tough yeah. yeah it's really tough and I think like for us like as stage managers like mm-hmm. we kind of have to be like are you sh- are you sure that you want to go down that route because it might not work out the way you want it to <laughs> you know and and I think yeah I think yeah. it's tough you know we're also, you know, creative people too, and we want to make it, make it like this amazing grand thing. But we also have to be like the voice of reason sometimes when there's a lot of like creative juices flowing. You're like, yeah, you know, I love how you mentioned your creative too, because I, I believe that everybody on a project, you know, whether it's theater or wherever you're doing entertainment, we are all creative, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Because this this isn't like 
an accounting job. <laughs> there's like a, there's an absolute right or wrong, right? There is. We are all working on something that's that's organic, that's fluid, that's becoming something. Uh, we we are all part of that process. So it's yeah. not like just being the stage manager. Well, you keep in your corner. I hate that thinking. I think it's right. important for us to have those perspectives and viewpoints. Right. Exactly. When you decide on a project and you say, this is what I want to bring to life, Mm -hmm. what is it that makes that happen? And then you're really good at convincing people. So how do you make (laughs) that happen? (laughs) Those are Uh, two good tools. (laughs) The second one has been crucial in my life. So you're right about that. I have, I, I should probably write a book on that part of it, but, um, the first thing, you know, I when it comes to something I want to put together, a play or whatever thing, even in my day job, if I have an idea of a concept, to me, I want to I want to have a good sense of what that feeling is that we're going to get out of it, and then how we're going to tell that story. So it's it's a twofold. I want to have something moving and affecting or exciting, and then I want to be able to tell something kind of interesting and, and as much as we can in the environment. So. You know, there there are plays I've directed where I just wanted to do that play because that play is so good. So my next project is a, is a streetcar named Desire, which I've mentioned uh, just recently here. Uh, and I was supposed to direct it two years ago, or a year and change ago. So we're finally putting this up in mm-hmm. March. Uh, but I that play is so hard to me, and I've never wanted to touch it until this time in my life because I felt like. You have such a vision. When you say that name of that play, mm-hmm. you have a vision probably of Marlon Brando, you have a vision of a certain style of that thing, and it's mm-hmm. very specific. Anybody who knows theater has an opinion. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is the greatest challenge of that show, is how do I then bring a relevancy, bring something unique to this story? Thank you. How do we make this, <laughs> how do we make this resonate today? And what changes, what, what things do I need to f- tweak in order to make it relevant, right? Because it's also mm-hmm. a dated play. There's a mm-hmm. bunch of stuff in there that Very I'm, dated. I'm destroying. Sorry, Tennessee <laughs> Williams, but I'm going to change it up. And I'm using the it's format of, of theater to sort of be able to do that, right? That we don't have to tell yeah. the same story all the time, which is great. Um, so for me, it's, it's finding that thing that, that becomes a passion because you're going to spend a bunch of your life. And for me, I've now spent, well, I've spent two years of my life worrying about streetcar and desire. So you're going to spend some time worrying about it. So you better love it. You better want to do it. Mm-hmm. And as a director, I don't direct anything I don't want to do anymore. I have for the years, for so long, I directed, you know, project to project. People would say, could you direct this? My my kid has a play. Can you direct this thing? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Um, I fell out of love with that. I felt like it was harder to create in that environment and harder mm-hmm. to feel passionate about it. And then there's often you want to say to the actors, I know this is crap. So just get through it. I didn't want to do that anymore. <laughs> I wanted to be able to have yeah. a yeah. quality script by a great right. writer or good writers to say, you're going to love, you're going to love doing this. It's going to be, yeah. you're going to spend hours of your life as a performer doing this. I want you to love it. So the second piece of that whole thinking is I want whatever cast in a show I'm doing to love doing it so much to mm-hmm. feel like they're showing up every day because man, this is fun. And wow, this is important to do. Yeah to an audience, right? Because we, a lot of us have been involved in productions where they were not nice to an audience and the show was not a good thing to watch. Mm-hmm. And you're like, wow, this sucks for you all to sit here for <laughs> an hour yeah. or four or whatever yes. we're pressuring you into. Uh, <laughs> and I've been in those shows. I was an actor in those shows. And we're like, this is a 
crap show. I'm so sorry you showed up today. I'm doing my best. Um, <laughs> so that was the, that's where it comes from, like wanting to do a project. Just, yeah. Let's make it fun and, and make it wonderful. And then the selling of it has evolved. I mean, it really, I, you know, I, I, it's weird. I've tried to piece apart. I've talked to some people about pitching. I think for me, the number one thing is I'm, I was an actor, so I'm not afraid to talk to people and talk in front of a bunch of people, mm -hmm. um, which helps me in my day job a lot because I have to talk to a lot of people and say a lot of things and improvise and, you know, answer questions. And you're how they say it. Yeah. <laughs> and, pretty, and you're pretty good at it, Serna, because I've pulled you, you know, numerous times impromptu, like, hey, can you stop by this rehearsal hall really quick and just talk to a um, couple of uh, people here about this? Uh, sure. Okay. And he just... He's on it. He's on it. You're good. You're good. <laughs> the hustle is there. I'll figure it out. I, mean, <laughs> and I, I, <laughs> um, I want to take it now to a different, not a different direction. It's still about influences. Um, yeah. And this is based on a conversation that we had at work where you mm -hmm. said, you know, there's not a lot of folks that have our last names, right? Yep. Um, and I just want to talk about that, like how that mm -hmm. has influenced you because you are Michael Cerna. Mm -hmm. Right, and you are Latino. How does mm -hmm. that influence what you do, and what has that path been because of that last name? Yeah, you know, it's it's it, it has in the past. I would say twenty years of my life, it's become more and more important to me, and continues to be a bigger piece of my life. And I think because I've I've identified myself more in my adult life because I'll, I'll go back a little bit. So my father. You know, born and raised in New Mexico, he was the first generation American, I mean, a North, uh, USA American. Um, and his parents were from Mexico. And, you know, I think he grew up in a tough time where he, he fought against his identity a lot. And so I think he didn't want his son to be in that same struggle. So he did what he could to keep me out of that struggle. So I, I grew up very much detached from it, but it's it's part of you. And you know it's part of you and you can't, get away from that part of you unless you try to change yourself entirely and become something else. But you need to find that place of embracing it. And I figured that out later on in my, my adult life. I figured out, well, this is who I am and this does identify me. And this is now I create another block for myself because I'm also in a world where that isn't the dominant reality. There aren't a lot of Latinos doing what I do um, that don't traverse across Right, I have my. I do have a sense of privilege in that I'm I'm half uh, Mexican, half Irish. So I, I fuse in a world where people can go, oh yeah, he's I see, he's like a white guy, which is normal. Like okay, he's like Irish. I get it, Irish. Um, so it's very easy for people to kind of put you in that bubble and say that's that's who you are. Uh, so I have that privilege in that sense that I did a lot of shows that you know they probably didn't realize they were casting a Latino guy. Right, they're like the last mm -hmm. name, whatever that means. You know, but here you are. You're in the importance of being in earnest with a bunch of other, you know, waspy people, um, which was great. I mean, it, you know, it allowed me to have a career of that. But it also was hard because I would have other friends who didn't have that privilege that struggled to get work because, you know, I'm very Puerto Rican. And I'm, unless I'm going to play a street thug, they don't want to put me in something. Um, and I, I saw that. And so for me, it became more influenced by those who didn't have that ability to kind of play both sides and i wanted to sort of then look at how can i help as i continue to to evolve in this world to be a voice to be somebody to help 
lift up others, to elevate others, to to change the narrative, to mix up. When I look at casting something, um, really the past 15 years of my life as a casting director and as a director has been, I don't care what the document says, who's what. Mm-hmm. Unless there's a part of the show that is clearly something, like we're telling, if there's a, if there's a conscious casting decision to make because this is... Uh, you know, a black role. This is a, this role. I don't care. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't want, I don't, if it just says a man, a woman, whatever, they, them, whatever it is, I want full freedom to think about beyond it. And I don't care if your norms are, well, it doesn't make sense that that father is black and the the mother is white and the kids are whatever. I don't care what your problem is. That doesn't matter because that's not part of my narrative. And I think we need to continue to look at this world as, as, a bunch of people living together and struggling. We're all going through a struggle. And as creators, I want to continue to be able to have more people in the room with me that are different, for lack of a better term, They're, that are different perspectives, different uh, heritage and backgrounds, because it makes us so much better. Every time I've been able to bring in, and I'm fortunate now that I'm in a position where I can often bring in different people and, and, you know, genders, et cetera, to be a part mm-hmm. of the conversation. It makes us so much better as, mm-hmm. as a creative mindset, as a team of people to have diverse thoughts. So we're not just always sort of like, oh yeah, we're all on the same page. I love on a different opinion that says, well, but for me, this is what I feel. Or, mm-hmm. oh, did you think about this? And that is what I think we as creators need. And as, as a Latino man, I just feel like, I want there to be more of us everywhere that that can see each other and go, yeah, we're all we're all just trying to to get through our day and strive and and achieve greatness. And any chance I can get to elevate somebody else, another person mm-hmm. of color, another woman, you know, I want to have that opportunity to sort of put shine a light on a diverse thinking that we haven't seen in the past. Mm-hmm. Honestly, white men have had an amazing run. So mm-hmm. good on them. But the future is not that. Thank you, next. Yeah. Yes. The, the future is not that. So we need yeah. to move on. And if we're, again, we're not staying relevant if we think of that's, that's the, the norm, right? That that's going to make us great again. Um, wink, wink. Uh, it's not. <laughs> right? We're going we're gonna to need to pass, pass beyond that. So it has yeah. become a passion. And it becomes a passion that's hard in my day job because there aren't any people I can look up to. Mm-hmm. There is no other man, the Latino man that I can look at in my day-to-day work and say, how'd you get where you are? How'd you fight that fight and get mm-hmm. to be that person? So often I look at it and go, oh, I think it's going to have to be me. Mm-hmm. So that's the responsibility that I go, okay, I'm going to have to swallow that and take those hits and realize, oh, this is going to be a bit of a, a bit of a piece of work because mm-hmm. the, mm-hmm. You know, and it, it's fine because I feel like I've so often thrown myself into not knowing what the hell I'm doing and to sort of blaze a path and trail and go like, well, let's just let's figure it out. So I, I approach it that way. Um, mm-hmm. But I would love a world where, you know, I go to a meeting and it's it's not a, always a bunch of white men. Right. Right. I mean, when I can mm-hmm. create meetings that they're not that, that that's the minority. That's pretty great. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes me happy <laughs> because I know that meeting is going to be hot. That means they have some good thinking. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? When there's like more women around the room and more people of color. And I'm like, this is going to be a good discussion. We're going to get some shit done. Yeah. Because, um, yeah. you know, I love that. they do. People get it done. Yeah. Yeah, they do. 
We do. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. And I mean, entertainment. I know theater is a reflection of life. Yep. And so is entertainment. Like, that's why we respond to it. It's because mm-hmm. it has to be that reflection. If you don't see yourself in it, then it's... Yeah, it's whitewashed as it has been for so many years, mm-hmm. right? Like, you, yeah. I think people people miss the point of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really big on, on, you know, color conscious casting because people miss the point that, you know, for years I didn't see myself in shows because there weren't other actors doing, you know, I, I remember loving as a kid Raul Julia as an actor. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't mm-hmm. until years later I realized why I loved Raul Julia as an actor because he was a Latino man. He reminded me of my father a lot. Mm-hmm. And I saw a reflection of my world when I saw mm-hmm. him, right? When I saw him in Adam's family, I'm like, oh, I know who this guy is. Mm-hmm. I, I, I saw it, right? And it was, mm-hmm. it was, he was a very amazing actor, but also very subtle. Like, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like he was just cast because he was yeah. a, a Latino man, right? He didn't yeah. have to play a thug or, you know, a criminal or whatever the case may be, right? Mm-hmm. He could play cool, amazing characters and, it was, yeah. it was great. It was, it was where they would like this world to be. Mm-hmm. You know, you have an awesome day job and it's a day job. Mm-hmm. I'm sure lots of directors would want to <laughs> jump on. But, sure. you know, what was that hustle like to land? And is it okay for me to say that you are the creative director of Walt Disney Imagineering for, you know, entertainment and stuff? Like, is that? Yeah, that's my job. I mean, I can't, I mean, I'm not going to de- deny my job, which is <laughs> I'm a creative director at uh, Walt Disney Imagineering Live Entertainment. That is my official title. Uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's weird because um, I'll talk about this a bit. Uh, it wasn't a job I knew I wanted to do. It wasn't really a job that existed when I started um, at Imagineering. Uh, they didn't really have that role. And I did kind of hustle to create, there was a void for it though. There was a need for it. So similar to my earlier conversations about having to kind of blaze a trail or create something, I sort of filled a gap that people didn't realize was a gap. And in doing that, I did a lot of hustling. I took a lot of projects. I jumped into any project I could. Again, doors open, I jump in. And in doing that, I think I made myself important and relevant and necessary. And in doing that, I think I created a job that hopefully survives past me doing this job. Uh, But I think my experience from everything I had done, from being an actor to a casting director to being a director, all of those pieces have made me a better, more effective creative director for for live entertainment because I understand that broader picture. Even, you know, managing, uh, you know, a park and, and performers in a park. The ability to go into a situation, it, it's such a weird job we do as a day job. It, you know, you ladies know this, that there's nothing that definitely directs to something else in the real world. Right, the, the right. creative director in a real job is a very different kind of thing than it is for Disney. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, how do you then sort of decide I'm going to become that, or how do you prepare yourself for that? And I think all we can do is get as much knowledge as we can and broad knowledge as we can as creative people, and then keep finding ways to sort of work your way into the system. But for me, it was that understanding of of, of creative work of casting and being a director but also how to collaborate with other people was crucial and that from my director's mind of how do you collaborate with costume designers and set designers and stage management and uh, producers and all of those pieces is really key if you've done a professional job as a director 
you're much better prepared to be a creative director because you've had to work for the money, you've had to work for the talent, you've had to work for the creative people you collaborate with. And those three pieces are crucial to what I do every day because I have to adhere to my sponsors, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, really our guests, but also, you know, the the leadership teams I work for. And then I also need to create things that are going to be beneficial and make uh, the performers happy and make them want to do this job, like I said, and and be a part of that. Mm -hmm. And in between those two big key elements, I need a village of creative people, collaborators, thinkers, and sometimes scientists and such. I mean, when I work in Imagineering, I'm working with architects and scientists and crazy thinkers. Uh, so the ability to kind of receive that and not push back against that, to, to know you're in a room with, you know, uh, you know, quantum physics, you know, geniuses, and know that they're going to be so much smarter about a ton of other things that you are not smart about. But you know what? I can tell you all of August Wilson's plays in order of succession of a cycle of <laughs> centennial plays. Um, so I have my own skills too, sir. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think that that ability to kind of embrace what I know uh, versus what you know, and then let our two worlds combine. Mm-hmm. And somehow uh, the Pulitzer Prize winning fences is just as important as the fence you're about to build. Mm-hmm. But um like how we did that, I can put that together. That was, yeah, that was, that was really, really good. good. On really the fly. Good. Again, I can sell something. I can, <laughs> I can shovel and sell it. <laughs> so that's the added, the, the cream on top is the ability to, <laughs> to sell an influence and, and talk to people and, and get them to, to invest in whatever it is you're doing. I love it. So, okay. So as we wrap up our interview, mm-hmm. which is at the end, great. <laughs> so thank you. Yeah, it's really good. Thank you. <laughs> Do you have any like last bits of words of wisdom for our listeners? Yeah, I think for me, the one thing that I constantly, that has served me well is when a door opens, I basically have always jumped through that door. Mm-hmm. And even if I wasn't sure where I was going to land on the outside of that door, I think, I mean, it sounds like a trope to say, well, doors open and, you know, walk through. I think, don't be afraid to walk through those doors or like I said, jump through those doors because even if it doesn't end up where you want it to end up, it gives you a different experience, a different sort of something to take from life. And that goes across the board. I mean, from my work life, my, my day job to, you know, being a director and directing things. I didn't think, well, I don't know if I want to direct this, uh, to acting in things, to just helping people, seeing a show that I didn't know anything about. Um, don't be afraid of the unknown. And I think it's easy to be afraid, but in the world of entertainment, we are supposed to take those risks and supposed to be the ones who challenge the norm. And if you don't take advantage of that moment, uh, you're missing out on something that could really change your life. Um, so that's the big one is that just jumping through a door when that door opens. And the other thing is, I think we as entertainment need to continue to embrace embrace kindness Absolutely, it's such a huge part of what we can do to the world and it gets more important i think as we go on i mean coming out of covid and everything like that i want to just continue to think about a culture of kindness to each other mm-hmm. it's a competitive world it's such a fighty competitive world for every reason and so often i see other creatives kick other creative people down and sure we should have opinions we should absolutely be mm-hmm. like that I think is garbage for me, but I don't need to tell that person it's garbage. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. right? Because they're putting their heart and soul into it. And I don't think it, it, be, it doesn't benefit anybody to be that critical person when you're a colleague or a co-collaborator or, mm-hmm. or you know, mm-hmm. a fellow enjoyer of, of entertainment. Um, so I, I've really tried to turn, and then again, I think I was a fighter and I would be like, well, that sucks. I hate that. Or I'm better than that. You know, that you get that sort of edge at some point in your life. Uh, but I'm past that, uh, you know, I want to celebrate and elevate and, and feel good about my work and others and, and not be a hater all the time. Mm-hmm. Well said, well said. Hashtag kindness. Yeah. Can always dabbler. That. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid to become like the dribbler instead. And as soon as <laughs> he just was ruling on himself the whole interview. Well, thank you, Serna. Always an inspiration. Oh, in all conversation with you somehow yeah. <laughs> <laughs> always ends up being something like this. So I thank you for that. I think you. that you've always made me think twice about things mm-hmm. and pushed me in different ways. So I just, I thank you again and thank you for joining us. Yeah. Being here with us. That's very kind. I'm honored to be asked and thank you for having me. If you'd like to follow Michael Cerna, you can follow him on LinkedIn at Michael Cerna. Again, Michael Cerna on LinkedIn. Yes, and please be sure to subscribe to all of our podcast platforms so you can stay up to date on all of our latest shenanigans. And hey, while you're at it, go ahead and write us a quick little review letting us know what you think about the podcast. We love hearing from you. We post new episodes of What the Fun podcast every other Friday. Thanks for listening. Bye, everyone. <laughs>